welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. Uh, as always, I am Justin, and I am joined by... Fresh Book, Fresh Beth. Automatic Sam. And I'm Caleb. And I'm Caleb. Oh. Oh, this is the bit. What bit? What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, I'm excited for this one. I was immediately quite afraid of this one because we were having some audio issues before recording it was, started. <laughs> it was pre-planned, and then as soon as I played it, I was like, oh, this might be misinterpreted as a problem. <laughs> I was just hoping that whatever setup you have to do that was not the cause of the audio issues. No, that was that was fully unrelated. I'm just... Okay. Audio problems all around is my middle name. It was very long. They can't put it on the birth certificate. Yeah, you're going to break databases. Your your parents were feeling very pessimistic that day. They knew. <laughs> Hi, listeners. How's everyone doing? <laughs> Clearly, we're, we're, we're doing well. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is episode one of Elantris. We have begun reading uh, the next book in our uh, Cosmere podcast journey. Last week we had our uh, pre-book discussion where we looked over uh, the the book itself, the the maps that we have, and, and as it turns out, the prologue because it's on the back of the book. Uh, <laughs> and this week we started into things with chapters one through four, uh, which means we have met our three point of view characters, uh, and we've started to see what we're actually dealing with here. Mm. Mm. The Shayad is Bayad. Yeah, truth, we have truth bombs bold. right away. Bold. We have some vocabulary words, don't we? <laughs> I I am going to, if we can have a, like a quick outset discussion on how we're feeling. Sure thing. Um I from our Discord, I feel like Sam probably might be more bothered by it than I am, but I think Sam and I both have the same major critique off the bat which is yeah there's a lot of vocab terms to keep there's, track of in this there's one there's too many fantasy words in this book let's yeah. like yeah it's well it's it's really interesting because i feel like it's very much a i know he wrote 14 books or whatever before this but it feels very much like first time fantasy writer yeah. trying to develop world for the first time and like my major, you know, if I were editing the book, my major thing would be like, yeah, you need less terms or they need to be terms that are easier to understand. And it's so interesting to look forward to Final Empire and how I assume he got that criticism at some point, because if you look at the first four chapters of Final Empire, I'm trying to think like a lot of the vocabulary, there's, there's, there's a good amount of vocabulary in that world, but most of it is like tied to English words, like mistborn, misting, like those are connections you can make to the English language. And there's words like Chandra and Coloss and Terrace, but all of those are like kind of sporadically introduced. And I was thinking back to like, at this point in the book of Final Empire to where we are now in Elantris, it might just be ska. That might be the only word of like, oh, that has no connection to any English word. And then maybe Atium, if Atium gets mentioned in the first four chapters, I don't know. Um, so I, I think it is interesting to really see how Brandon has already progressed in ways of delivering lore and world building more efficiently and ways that are easier to grasp onto within the span of two books. Um, I, I 
you know, obviously agree with what you're saying. Brand clearly kind of learned a lesson. But what bugs me is like when you have words like Sule and Colo, why? <laughs> Just say like get it or something. Like I, I don't know. You're you're making a character like more. Even though this is incredibly problematic to say exotic, by introducing these like fantasy terms that they say, but they mean that. Just say it. I don't know. Uh, you are my Odiv, and I am your Gjorn and Dorvin. <laughs> Stop. I was doing pretty okay with most of the vocab, and then there was a point. Uh, I think in chapter three, um, or maybe four, where I just thought through everything and I was like, okay, so there are Sions. Every Sion has an Aeon. One of the Sions who has an Aeon is named Ian. All of these things are completely separate from the district of Eon in the world of Aerolon. Except, no, if we look back to the map, let me double check to make sure I'm not going crazy. <laughs> There are We're in fact early, aren't we? There are in fact <laughs> two districts named Eon in the land of Aralon. <laughs> so that's not confusing at all. <laughs> There's one on the top right and one on the bottom left. Uh, in keeping with our tradition, we have not started talking about the, the words on the page, which I'm cool with because it's there are two Eons. There are literally two Eons. They're spelled the same. Yeah, hang uh, on a minute. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's like uh, uh, Russia, how there's yeah, a Russia in the a middle one, of Europe. Yeah, there's one little bit of Russia that has access to the coast. Um, so, yeah, it's a little difficult to keep track of things uh, every once in a while. That being said, I don't know what Sam's overall thoughts are. I always like to get my, my critiques and, and negatives out of the way first. I really enjoyed these first couple chapters. I'm really interested to get going. Uh, I really, I think all three of our main uh, protagonists are really interesting and they're each dealing with very different things um, that all are really building together into co a cohesive world. Um, so uh, despite the fact that I just chatted for five straight minutes about what I didn't like about the book, um, I'm really enjoying it so far. I, I can summarize my thoughts as, I can't wait to like this book. <laughs> I want to. I'm trying. I really am. Yeah. No, I I think that is reasonable at this point, and I I think I agree slightly more so with uh with Caleb at this point of we've got our three characters set up. I think they are interesting characters with interesting problems right away. Yeah. And yeah, there there's a promise there of something something cool is going to happen with them. But we do need to start seeing that and not just learn vocab words. <laughs> I do find it funny. It's like, I am guilty of this. If I like take a, a get a criticism or take a note or whatever, I tend to swing wildly in the opposite direction before I like sort of swing a little bit back and find that middle ground. And I feel like that's what happened with Brandon. He's like, here's Elantris on this planet. And here's all these terms. And someone was like, okay, calm it down just a little bit. Okay, fine. Here's Mistborn. It's basically Earth. Are you happy now? All the magical items they use, they're normal metals. They're metals we have in real yeah. life. 
They use it. They use tin for magic. Can I get one magical metal that doesn't exist in real life, or is that too much for you? <laughs> we call Ash Ash, and not Gorbil. <laughs> Gorbil fell from the sky. Though if I did open a book and the first line was Gorbel fall from the, <laughs> fell from the sky, I would keep reading. <laughs> All right, I'm going to use that to hard segue into uh, the actual text of the book here. <laughs> the first line of this book? <laughs> yes. Justin, I'm very sorry. I have notes before we get to the, any of the text. <laughs> we did the notes before we get to the text. The, it's a very quick thing. Just an interesting thing to point out is uh, at the top of the prologue, before we actually get to the text, we have our little symbol, and the symbol is the same uh, symbol of Elantris surrounded by its four smaller cities that I thought was a rose compass in episode zero. Yeah, we have uh, a whole new set of symbols to look at uh, rather than the, the steel alphabet that we saw uh, over the chapters in Mistborn. Right. We've got we got all sorts of cool symbols here. And then I also have more notes about the maps, but I will wait until it becomes relevant to the plot to bring those up. <laughs> all right. Okay. One of the reasons why I did want to get us to the first line of the book, besides it being, you know, the point of this podcast, is that I think probably more than any of the other Cosmere books, uh, this is the this is the one that I feel like is really trying to hook you with a catchy first line uh, because we start when oh actually I'm going to say a thing before we get to this catchy first line because of the, <gasps> the second word I'm about to say I was gonna uh, say <laughs> how yeah, you gonna because, say it well we have to pronounce people's names uh, and I I mentioned before that generally speaking I ignore a lot of the like official pronunciations of uh, Elantrian terms uh, because the the rule is that um, uh, Aeonic names all of the vowels are pronounced separately um, and this is basically the only one that I actually follow that on uh, his name is Raodin and not Rauden okay <laughs> Rowdy Rowden that's well yeah that's good because Rauden does sound I I didn't interpret it as Rowdy I was more like Rauden and I was like I don't I can't <laughs> This is supposed to be a very serious storyline. I can't be having that word go through my head. So yeah, I also was hoping it would be Rayoden, and it's good to know. Yeah, so anything that has names influenced by um, Aeons, the vowels are all pronounced separately. So yes, the first line of our book here is that Prince Rayoden of Arlan awoke early that morning, completely unaware that he had been damned for all eternity. And that is where we start. It's a strong opening sentence. It is. Yeah. yeah, I am I am not much of a writer myself. It's been a long time, especially since I wrote anything creative. Uh and I know there is kind of I, I feel like when you're when you're learning, there's a big push to like have a, a first line that really gets you. Uh and I think sometimes people go overboard with that and they try to be like really clever and catchy. Uh but I think I like this one. I like where we're starting here. Uh and it does, you know, immediately go into what's actually happening here uh but yeah it's it stands out to me because i feel like brandon doesn't do that as much in terms of like the the opening lines are are interesting but i i think this one is the most kind of in your face about it yeah i would agree with that i think i, I think i'm on the exact same page of 
this feels like Brandon put conscious thought into, I have to make the first sentence really interesting. But also, I think he succeeded. I think it's a good balance yeah. of not, not going over the top. Like you said, uh, I think a lot of, of uh, early career writers do do tend to really try to go overboard with hooking you in. And this is a good one. So what we learn uh, has happened is this is what we learned a bit about in the prologue, uh, is that Prince Raoden, who is the the crown prince uh, of Aralon, is a very important person, has been taken by the Shayot. He has awoken uh, and has been transformed into some sort of hideous monster. I'm trying not to go into the opening line of Kafka's Metamorphosis because we're very close there. Just, what is the opening line of Kafka's Metamorphosis? I have to look it up so I can get it exactly because it's it's a good one. Mister Metamorphosis woke up uh, completely unaware that he was about <laughs> to be eternally damned. <laughs> uh, it opens with it's metamorphosizing time. God. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the 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 first uh, I mean it was in German so it was translated but the 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 translation is something like uh, as Gregor Samsa awoke one morning from uneasy dreams he found himself transformed in his bed into a gigantic insect. Oh, right. well, yep, fair enough. <laughs> Which, by the way, if you haven't read the Metamorphosis, no explanation is given as to what that process is. Ah, sure. And in fact, no effort is ever made to uh, transform him back or do anything about it. It is actually a, a really interesting work. It's one of the one of the ones that I I read in school that it was like, yeah, this was this this made me think about it. So yeah, we're we're one sentence in and we're talking about other literature. Hey, getting back to the book, can we talk about the fact that the word shayad sounds like a toddler saying the word shared? You're we not can, wrong. We can if I you sh- want. I shared my toys. I think that's about the end of us talking about it, but we can in fact <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> the end. Anyway, the shayad is bad. So there you go. The end. Yeah, so this, uh, uh, as, as we learn, I mean, this is this is upending pretty much everything uh, for, for Rayodin and for kind of his family. Uh, because he has, uh, he has become an Elantrian, which ten years ago would have been a, a celebrated thing, where he became this kind of divine being, uh, and now it means that he has he has transformed into this sickly, uh, for lack of a better term, undead uh, being, and the only thing that his family can do is kind of secretly send him away to the city of Elantris uh, and act as though he has died because it would be a, a great public shame for the the crown prince to to have been taken this way yeah that sucks I mean it's it's a you know natural being a relative term but it's a natural process that just luck happened to hit him and mm-hmm. it's shameful no good. Yeah, speaking of, we talked about first sentences of books trying to hook you in. I was surprised at how Brandon is wasting no time. It is page two when he is shut into the city of Elantris. Yep. Yeah, woke up. Uh, somebody noticed what was going on. Uh, screamed and ran away. 
and then like the next paragraph he has been tossed into the city of Elantris. The gates have been shut behind him. Uh, he has the kind of ceremonial sh shroud, I guess, that he was wearing uh, and a basket of food. And that's it. From the outside world, goodbye, Crown Prince Rayodun. We will probably never see you again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as as Sam put it in his notes, uh, Rayodun has, be has indeed become Zambino. <laughs> I'm going to, there will be a hundred ways to spell zombie other than zombie <laughs> in my notes, I assure you. Sometimes your notes read like half-life, full-life consequences. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, Rayodin become Zambino. <laughs> uh, now I'm picturing Rayodin as John Freeman slash half-life NPC number one. Who was Gordon Freeman's brother. So we start to see uh, the inside of uh, the city of Elantris. And I guess it's kind of necessary for conflicts and stories and whatnot for there to be bad circumstances. Uh, but learning about the final empire as we began Mistborn and now learning about the city of Elantris, we're not starting off in, in pleasant places like ever. No. <laughs> no. <clears throat> This one's especially gross because it's like wet ash, slime, grime, grime, yeah. and slime. The final empire <laughs> was like unpleasant on a dangerous and violent scale. Elantris is just unpleasant. It's just nasty. <laughs> it's kind of neutrally unpleasant. There's yeah. Be violent to get food, but other than that, there's not really a point because nobody can die, and if you get hurt, then you're hurt for the rest of eternity. So, yeah, that is a that is a thing that we learn uh, is that this is kind of the uh, the actual curse of of the Elantrians is uh, your body doesn't do bodily processes anymore, your heart doesn't beat, none of that happens, and notably, you do not heal anything ever so you stub your toe your toe is now in pain forever jeez literally they, happens they really picked like the most mundane form of very uncomfortable pain and the idea of having to live with that forever is like viscerally uncomfortable to me i was yes. like it's yes. really really a really interesting combination of it's not gory it's not bloody it's just imagine having to feel that pain forever and I, like it's really uncomfortable <laughs> it, it makes my whole leg feel weird and, yeah like, sympathy pain uh, yeah i need to like wiggle my toes and be like they're not in pain right now it's okay <laughs> it's okay right. uh if brandon wanted to go the the cheaper route that didn't happen like you know after being chased he could just say like oh rayodin hit his funny bone Oh, no. oh, imagine living with that for all eternity. <laughs> that that guitar string twang of hitting your funny bone. That is a bad way of describing it. Now my elbow <laughs> feels weird too. <laughs> I once hit my funny bone so hard that my other hand hurt. <laughs> that that oh, seems no. like it's not supposed to work that way. I don't know how much of that was mental, but I can assure you I felt it. <laughs> But uh, yeah, as we get our first couple scenes within the actual city of Elantris, I was very, it's interesting in that 
all four of all three sorry all three of our um main protagonists are like kind of stuck at least kind of stuck up but they use it in ways that make them not frustrating or annoying and it's very like it's very explicitly stated using his pride like a shield against despair dejection and most important self-pity um like Rayodin moved on and I was I was really expecting Rayodin to just be like oh my god I'm the crown prince and my entire life has been taken away from me and he would just be like weepy for the first several chapters and no on page three he's like no I'm just gonna keep moving forward it's gonna be all right we're gonna get through this and I don't know I really really appreciated that I mean he has a little bit of self-pity but not too much (laughs) <laughs> this is this is what I will become. It has already begun. I mean, it's it's a neutral thought, and it is literally the case. <clears throat> but, you know, I don't know. I did write, okay, Brandon, we get it, in my notes. <laughs> I was just kind of surprised. Of, I was expecting, you know, it is true that, yeah, his whole life just fell apart, and I figured we would be spending a lot of time on that. And Brandon makes the explicit statement of, yeah, nope, he, that's in the back of his mind, but he is not going to just let that determine every single thing he does and thinks. And I think we see some of that uh, kind of attitude uh, on page as well as we introduce our second actual uh, recurring character uh, as the, the first person who Raiden actually kind of properly meets in the city uh, is Galadon. Uh, him of the, the vocabulary words, as, as we'll get into that soon. <laughs> But you see a contrast here between Rayodin, who has been in Elantris for all of 10 minutes at this point, uh, and Galadon, who has has resigned himself to the fact that this is eternity. And there's a... It, it is silly to say that there's a vast difference between 10 minutes and eternity, but Rayodin is still thinking on timescales that he's used to. You know, of here's how I feel right now. Here are the things that I'm I'm dealing with right now, uh, and it hasn't quite clicked for him that this is forever. Uh, and and the first conversation he has with Galadon starts to kind of show that difference. I love Galadon. I'm on Team Galadon. Yeah. <laughs> I do also like Galadon a bit. Yeah, he's he's a likable guy. Quite a bit. Also, there's a Maladroid. Oh yeah, yeah no, I, 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 in there. I yeah. definitely noticed that. <laughs> Just wait until chapter uh, chapter three when we start describing Hraithan's armor. Bloodred. There was Bloodred. like six Bloodreds. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have uh, we have Galadon, who is in remarkably good spirits for being in this city of the damned, uh, and that that kind of is his his personality trait right away before we learn much more about him uh is he's the guy who can who can be kind of upbeat and can can talk to you like a like a friend and like it's it's time to just hang out and chat even in this very dire circumstance and it's also really interesting because like some of the things he says sound like they're they could be really edgy like one of his first lines is we can't be dying we're already dead um but then he'll like continue the conversation and like, yeah, he's just pretty chill. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I love this guy. Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, we're, we're going to, to mention it is he is, uh, he is not from 
Erelon. Uh, he is from Duladel. Uh, we get the first instance. This happens a couple times of um, Raiden not really like putting his foot in his mouth, but having some some missteps around geopolitics, <laughs> um, which actually is a thing that I I think is interesting to note. In that in Elantris we have geopolitics. Uh, in in Mistborn, we we had some we had quite a bit of politics, but. There was first. There was only one country in the entire world, and then there were no countries, and they were trying to <laughs> kind of put that back together, and then countries didn't really matter. Uh, whereas here, right away in in Elantris, we have international relations that we were going to have to think about. So I think that that will be an interesting change for for this book. Yeah, Int- yeah. I hadn't pieced it together, but yes, most of what we've read so far, in not just this chapter, but other chapters, is international relations. Mm-hmm. Literally, Harathan's whole deal is... Yeah, he's an ambassador, <laughs> we'll basically. Re- relations yeah, is one Serene's word for too. it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so so Galadon is uh, is from Duladel, uh, and the, the way that Raoden realizes this is his accent and the fact that he says Kolo. All the time. Like, in every <laughs> sentence. <laughs> so, this is... And I, I have a good hunch as to where this comes from. Uh, because this is a, a real linguistic thing. It's called back-channeling. Uh, it is how you let people know that you are listening. Uh, and in, in, in English, it's things like saying yeah or uh-huh. And different languages have different ways of back-channeling. Uh, and they do it different amounts. Uh, and I know that uh, Brandon spent some time in Korea and in a couple other places in East Asia. Uh, and uh, I believe Korean, but especially Japanese, is known for extensive backchanneling. And so I, I have a feeling that that is where Brandon first noticed it and thought that would be a, a good thing to put in a, a fantasy culture that is different from the the place that my first character is from yeah it's interesting to like we are 30 pages in by the time we meet galadon we've barely gotten to know and like only six of those pages were actual book content yeah the rest i was, was maps. Say. <laughs> um so we don't know raiden all that well we don't know arlon all that well we've mostly just seen muck city <laughs> um <laughs> So it's it's interesting to introduce so early on, like someone with a such a linguistic tick of like, look, they're from a different place. It's like I barely know the first place. How <laughs> do you expect me to know this is different? But you know, I just like Galadon, so I don't even care. <laughs> Colo. 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 My one more anecdote about back channeling before we continue with the plot. Uh, is that it's actually a a noticeable problem uh, with kind of interculture business dealings where uh, particularly non-Japanese businesses who go to do business in Japan, uh, when you're when you're talking, when you're in Japan and you're and you're speaking Japanese, uh, the convention is to to back channel so much that it is it is common for non-native Japanese speakers to mistake it for agreement, uh, and you'll be you'll be pitching your business idea, and the person you're talking to is saying yes, 
okay, great, all right, great. And, <laughs> and you think that they are agreeing with you when, in fact, they are simply saying, I hear you, continue. <laughs> and so it, it, has, it has caused like friction in, in businesses where they, they have to go back and realize we're not actually on the same page. You were just saying, I am hearing and understanding what you're saying which I think is a, a fascinating problem to, to come up in the real world. Sounds good for the ego, too. I'd love to listen to that while I was talking. I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, validation. <laughs> so, yeah, we, we do start to kind of see uh, the city of Elantris, and Galadin starts to explain some things to, to Raiden uh, that uh, because when, when Raiden realizes that nobody is ever going to heal he thinks about the the boy that he encountered when he was running away with his food got attacked and beaten up and what's that going to do to him uh and the answer is it's probably just going to drive him insane from having to feel that pain and and that's what happens to the majority of people here in elantris is eventually things just build up uh and at some point you mentally break and and there's just that's all you can can experience is is the pain that you feel so this place sucks <laughs> sure in does. conclusion uh yeah i did take down on my notes that it only took brandon five pages to kill a child in this one but then i had to recant <laughs> my statement and go oh he's not actually dead he's just in pain no, forever he just wishes he was dead <laughs> yeah. and they also discuss like well what if we what if we burn you um will that end the pain and uh, uh galadon is like well it, it might but we don't know maybe you feel pain even after you're completely burned up and my thought was like even if it does continue yeah for sure that's terrible but even if not like of all the ways to try to permanently die burning feels like the worst because that's like that's that's a thing that I know is constant pain in the act of being burnt. Like, that's that's not a quick way to go out, really. It's not quick, but it feels comprehensive is the <laughs> best word I got, which is bad. If If your goal is, like, eliminate your body so that it is incapable of feeling pain, I don't know many other ways to do it. I think if you just swan dove into a vat of acid that would probably go by a lot quicker well let's keep an eye out then for vats of acid in this <laughs> this doomed city i mean there's a university there, <laughs> there there's probably swimming pools <laughs> ah the elantrian acid pits of course i mean like the chondra did have access to That's acid true. <laughs> yeah like it's not out of the question <laughs> But uh, no, uh, no acid pits yet, so we'll have to we'll have to deal with that. And the the last thing that we have in our our introductory chapter with with Raiden and Galadon is that Raiden makes a deal. Uh, he he was able to save one uh, tiny scrap of uh, of meat from his uh, his offering basket of food, uh, and he trades that to Galadon for 30 days of being a guide around this city show me show me what you know show me how to 
to keep myself sane in the city for this tiny scrap of meat. And it, uh, it, it takes a bit of thinking, uh, but that's actually a, a pretty good deal in, in Galadin's mind. And, and he takes it. Yeah. It was cool. It's not international, but um, it was very fun to, within one chapter, get to see Rayodin start flexing his politics muscles and, and making deals like this. Mm-hmm. I thought that was fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was well haggled. <clears throat> also, the line break that leads to that uh, takes place 12 milliseconds after the words before it. Sule, you're dead, Kolo. <laughs> they didn't burn the boy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing has changed. We We haven't moved. But <laughs> at some point we agreed on that. <clears throat> I do like the line breaks, um, just as a as a matter of format, um, because they help me because I am a ADD reader. <laughs> I'm good at reading twelve pages at a time. So thank you, publisher, for putting that in. But also what? But also yeah. <laughs> I assume that one like represents some overall having time passed it, it is true that like that first paragraph does include some dialogue that likely took place around the same time but it, the sequence does move very quickly into they started moving around the city a little bit more so it, it felt like a, a decent uh time to take a, a quick line break yeah I'm just gonna take a line break here just real quick <laughs> all right but we also have a chapter break Uh, As I mentioned in our uh, episode zero, uh, we're going to have three characters here that we we rotate between for most of the book. Uh, So it is time to meet the the second character here. Uh, As we have we have another kind of uh, wham line here Uh, as we start chapter two with Serene stepped off the ship to discover that she was a widow. It's a good line. I first read his window. <laughs> <laughs> when Gregor Samza awoke in the morning, he discovered that he had metamorphosized into a window. <laughs> Shit. How am I going to get myself out of this one? Um, I was tired, yeah. okay. Fair. Um, this is a good opening sentence, and if I remember correctly, um, our third pro- uh, 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 kind of POV character also has a very striking opening sentence. So you can tell yeah. Brandon wins all in on this one. Mm-hmm. It's equality; everyone gets one. Yeah. So we we're we're starting to meet uh, Serene, and we uh, discover. Uh, Beth and I mentioned that there is a there's a trope that Brandon dips into a couple of times and I kind of poke fun at him for it. Uh, and here is here's episode one of it of uh, arranged or political marriages that get screwed up in interesting ways. Uh, so spoiler for the Cosmere, we're going to see a couple more of these. Uh, but the 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 interesting way that this has been screwed up in this case uh, is that officially Rayodin is dead. Uh, he died while Serene was taking a ship to Aralon. Uh, but because this was a uh, this was a political marriage, this was trying to create a a, a, a union of uh, their respective countries. Uh, there is there were there were negotiations around this, and the terms are that if either of them were uh, were killed before the marriage was actually officiated. It is still considered to have gone through, uh, and so 
she finds herself a widow on arrival. Yeah, and I think this this first section does a very good job of helping us get to know Serene because it also does a very good job communicating mixed feelings because she does want the marriage to still be valid because it is a political marriage that she think will truly be advantageous. So she's kind of like going through the rules to be like, are we sure it's valid? But she's also like, A, a little bit bummed that she did actually think she would get along with Rayodin, and so he's dead and that's sad. And then also like, okay, the marriage is valid, but now I am here and I don't really have any allies at all. So the things just got a lot more difficult, even though the marriage is valid. I think this, considering how many balls are being juggled in establishing the world and the politics and everything, this section does do a very good job of helping us understand how Serene feels about this. And the feeling is a lot of different feelings. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, as much as we make fun of the amount of vocabulary TM involved, you know, Mistborn starts with like, a strong world and and some intrigue but it takes a while for the like fundamental plot to get rolling and i don't think we're quite there yet with Ilantris, but the pieces start getting stacked up in interesting ways quite quickly right for better and worse we at least we get a handle on our main character's main motivations it seems like right away mm-hmm. even if raiden's right now is just survive this hell that i'm in that's still a a pretty strong one yeah and then yeah like caleb like you said serene has all of these things that that she's kind of juggling through and it seems like she's going to try to handle all of them Uh, and then certainly when we get to chapter three prathan we will know very clearly what what he is about as well (laughs) he's very upfront about it yeah (laughs) So yeah, the the situation that we find ourselves in here, Serene and Rayodin had had been communicating uh, over a long distance. They had been exchanging letters. Uh, this was a marriage that was set up as a, a political point, uh, but it it does seem that the two of them, at least in their their correspondence so far, uh, did get along very well, and. Were, Serene at least was very much looking forward to to meeting the man, but the the circumstances have changed. the 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 contract specifies that the marriage does still take effect, uh, and now she finds herself in Aralon with not a lot of support given the circumstances. Uh, she is met by uh, a court attendant, and not her father in law, which feels awfully rude (laughs) yeah a little rude (laughs) she does have a little support because she does have a sassy little light orb companion (laughs) (laughs) who i love (laughs) i love him too i don't i i i'm i totally on board with it but i also am so baffled sometimes by media's obsession with little talking glowing orbs because like i'm just thinking through everything i can think of liara and mass effect gets one Halo has has them. Uh, Portal has them. Um, uh, uh, there's another one that I was thinking of, but it's like it's Destiny. It's, yeah, Destiny has the little orbs. It's always orbs, and I don't know why, but it's <laughs> it, I I love it too. I'm gonna make some piece of media where your companion is a rhombus, and everyone's gonna lose their shit. <laughs> well, 
kind of a rhombus in Destiny. It's rum. That's true. It's it's rum. It's it's rhombus ish. Why was I floating thingy? There's some other thing in Destiny that I I something about this these chapters reminded me of Destiny. Maybe I took it down in my notes and I'll get back to it. But I was already thinking of Destiny when I was reading this. My thought was uh, just at the top. We we eventually obviously learn what what seans kind of are, the the gist of it. But my thought was: is a seon a person or a cell phone? At this point, <laughs> like, is Ash really there, or is Ash right. like, <laughs> like, like uh, 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 Serene talked into her iPhone? <laughs> right. Is this its own entity, or is it just a a communication? system and there's some other person and is that person ash or is yeah it's it's a little unclear at first but we do uh we do determine that this is its own supernatural entity it is a a mystical floating ball of light uh that does have a bit of a personality on it as as we see yeah it 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 is a cell phone but they've doubled down on siri it is also a cell phone. It yeah, is additionally right. a cell phone. Uh, yeah, and we we see. Uh, it seems like Ash has a a good personality match for Serene. Yeah. Yes. So she does try to kind of figure out uh, what is going on here. She attends Rayodin's funeral, uh, which is very well attended. Apparently, the man was was very popular, very well liked in the kingdom of Aralon. And so this is a uh, this is a significant event. If maybe not for the king, which seems odd, uh, at least for the people of of the country, they they are here to mourn their prince. The king is doing a really bad job of playing this off. <laughs> like <laughs> my my son died. Oh, all of a sudden, like that's how you get people to not be s- suspicious of you or of what happened. But now he's just doing court business in his mm-hmm. palace. I mean, unless that's just the way that he is all the time and people are not phased by this, which is a bit of an indictment on on him. But yeah, maybe (laughs) this is the the non-suspicious way to play this off is to just ignore it entirely. (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm also like, the king feels evil. So like, I'm not that surprised about that. But we do get to meet the queen and even she's acting very casual and it seems like she's eccentric and a little bit strange. But even if she knows her son's not dead, she does still think she lost her son forever. So you, you right. do think she would still be feeling sad feelings about that. And she also is pretty chill about the whole thing. <laughs> but it's not her biological son, so fuck that guy. That's true. Yeah. What was I thinking? <laughs> No, nobody has any attachment to someone who's not their biological. All you adoptive parents out there, Brandon's got a message oh, no. for you. <laughs> That's what Ash says later. He's like, ah, you are forgetting, my lady. She didn't care one whit about this boy. So as the uh, as the, the funeral wraps up, Sam has, has put it, uh, I think, succinctly, uh, in that Serene is going to seek out both answers and trouble. Uh, because <laughs> she at least is a little suspicious here, uh, just of the the unlikeliness of it all, of the, the excuse that they've invented for Rayodin's death, 
uh, is a disease that he could have have caught and and it would have killed him very quickly. Uh, but it the odds aren't good, and so she thinks that there's something else going on here, given the the kind of atmosphere of of the people around. Uh, and so she's going to try to figure something out. And uh, Ash says that uh, he has been instructed to try to keep her out of trouble. Uh, she's apparently very aware of her uh, her popular perception uh, and says, yeah, that's not going to happen. And immediately starts <laughs> to try to get into trouble. Uh, but uh, shortly after, she is uh, struck by the the situation she's ended up in where she is... Uh, aside from Ash and you know maybe some contacts that she can make, she is very much alone, and she's she has experienced some of this this tragedy as well, uh, and does need to kind of figure out what that means for the rest of her life now. She's on un- an unmarried woman at twenty five, ancient, unheard, past of. her prime, haggard. Thanks, Brandon. <laughs> A good. spinster. <laughs> In five years, she'll be dead. <laughs> <laughs> a rotting corpse at the bottom of a chasm. No, that's that's in, her husband. In the acid pits. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I know it's a different society, but I was like, Brandon, as a 25-year-old woman myself, get off my back. <laughs> yeah. Did not feel great reading that. I don't want to cast myself into the acid pits in five years. <laughs> I like how we've just accepted that there are acid pits at this point. <laughs> yes. We're manifesting it. If I didn't get my volcano fight last time, I'm manifesting <laughs> acid pits now. All right. Uh, that'll be the first thing on the uh, the predictions sheet. Let me write it down. <laughs> acid pits. Okay, cool. <laughs> And hey, if we don't get it in this book, someone needs to ask Brandon if the world of Elantris is going to have any acid pits, and he will respond with read and find out. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> and you read, and the answer's no. Yeah. <laughs> I, I kind of want to go back and, and like search through a bunch of his Q&A sessions to find the, like the smallest, most inconsequential thing that has somehow been rayfoed. And then we need to figure out why in the hell is that actually, why does that matter? Why aren't you telling us this? Surely some of them are just, I'm not sure yet. That has to be some of them, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Do you think he ever just screws with us? All the time, I I think. think, Do you think he would do that? Go to a convention and tell lies? I mean, he he has said that Rafo is a mix between... Um, I know the answer and it's important that I don't tell you yet and uh, I haven't decided and don't want to commit one way or the other okay he has admitted that's sometimes what it means okay yeah and then some of them are probably just uh, I'm going to throw a Rafo in here even if it's not the most vital thing just so that you don't know everything that's important gotta keep him on our toes <laughs> so uh, shortly after, Serene arrives at the the kind of court of Aralon, uh, and we meet King Aidan, uh, and he is an extremely unpleasant person. Fuck this guy. 
Well, I mean, I kind of viewed him and literally pictured him, uh, unfortunately, as the the father of Fiona and Shrek. <laughs> like he's a, he's clearly he's clearly got a shitty personality, but he could be a good guy. We don't know. I'm actually realizing John Cleese wouldn't be bad casting either. He's a thin man with a shrewd face. Oh, that is true. Hold on, let me make a change here. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the first actual interaction we see with him is that he 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 is doing kind of courtly business. Uh, he invites over Serene to to speak with him. Uh, I'm going to emphasize again uh, his daughter-in-law, and as as they point out, legally his daughter uh, is the way that the the marriage works here. And I think it says after 15 minutes of her waiting, yeah, uh, finally gets a chance to speak with her. Uh, says no one told me you were so tall, and then just makes her go away says go off and and do uh you know embroidery or whatever it is that that women do you're too tall now go embroider go talk with that (laughs) almost unseen woman oh that's the queen (laughs) the the fucking queen right eshin you can do better girl eshin can do better (laughs) oh as my notes uh, my notes uh he orders his wife the fucking queen to escort her to her room not a chambermaid or whatever, but the queen. This is a weird dude. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do at least appreciate that Serene, like, in her own inner thoughts, like, puts italics on Queen Eshin. Like, s- even Serene is like, what the, what is this guy's right. deal? Yeah, this yeah is she's a picked lot. up on this real quick. And then, in a groundbreaking move, we have our memorable female character and another female character pass the Bechdel test because they get to talk about flowers. Yes! In the windows! This is probably the fastest time to Bechdel of any Sanderson book. Yeah, that that would not surprise me. This is fairly early on, all things considered. (laughs) Um, Emperor's Soul might be faster. And actually is a much more important conversation. So I'll it's definitely up there, though, which is is somewhat unfortunate. It is good to see that Serene has not turned into one of these windows by this scene already. She's still good in that department. <laughs> That's true. She's not a window yet. And God damn it, I want orange roses, not yellow roses. If only orange was a combination of some sort of colors. And cross-breeding plants was a thing. Some sort of color that roses are normally known to be. Hmm. Damn. Look, if only. Mr. Punnett himself doesn't exist in this universe, so maybe they don't know how to do that. Maybe yet. he does. He's just got a goofy name. <laughs> He's one of the two eons. <laughs> they don't have, like, a, a Animal Crossing flowers breeding guide. How could they possibly figure out how to do it? <laughs> that shit required, like, entire spreadsheets. Blue roses, man. Anyway, much like Eshin, this podcast has meandered. <laughs> yeah, that's the other thing that uh, that's strikes Serene right away is, good God, does Eshin talk a lot. <laughs> she fucking hates the color yellow. She does hate the color yellow. Not blonde, though. Blonde is fine. Blonde is, is just green. It's not yellow. But yellow, yellow's no good. It knows what it did. <laughs> All those years ago. <laughs> we don't like to talk about it. <laughs> that's a national tragedy. <laughs> 
Speaking of national tragedies, Serene is in mourning. Yeah, oh, <laughs> her Prince, husband's Prince, dead. Prince Raiden is dead. I, I made that segue just because it was funny. <laughs> you were right. My notes make me laugh. Uh, because Eshin lays out uh, black clothes for Serene, and uh, the queen ordered a bunch of black clothes for Serene to wear because she's supposed to be sad that the dude she never met died or whatever. True. Yeah. Literally true. Yeah. And ironically, it seems like Serene is more sad about Rayodin being dead than either of his parents. Again, right. I know technically not blood mother, but yeah. But it seems like she's more more than even being sad about him being dead. She's annoyed that they're not like more than being sad. She's more annoyed that they're not sad. It's true. Well, it's weird. <laughs> the dominant emotion is annoyance, which is fair. Something's going on. So, uh, fortunately, uh, Ash is here. has uh, has done some some scouting around, uh, and at this point. Serene has has pretty much decided that this is not just a a curiosity. She is going to get to the bottom of this, whatever the hell is going on. Uh, and then we also do see that uh, seans are yes also a cell phone uh, because we get to uh, we Serene contacts her father, who is a character who has normal human emotions, unlike most of the people we've seen thus far in Aralon. You know what, for personalities that I've liked so far in Cosmere, King Evanteo is, like, top five. He's just such, like, a cool dude. He seems like just a decent, decent dude, yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know if I can fully trust him because he is uh, calling Serene by using, Dio! But... <laughs> But yes, he actually is like, I'm sorry your husband's dead, which is the first person to say that to her all day. <laughs> and he calls her foul pole. That could be goalpost. <laughs> yeah, it's, more, it's, more like, it's more like goalpost, I would say. Regardless, it's a weird nickname. <laughs> but it's sweet. It's a sweet but weird nickname. It I was is. gonna say, my my dad would sometimes extrapolate my name all the way out to Gizzard, so I really can't judge <laughs> <laughs> weird nicknames. Yeah. Now is the his one flaw is his other nickname for her is just like shortening her name to E N E. Is mm. her name supposed to be pronounced Sarene? Sarini? I think it. I, if I'm remembering the audiobook, I think it technically is Sarini. Which is another one that I never say. Yeah, because no, then her nickname correct. would be Edie. Yeah, that's yeah. that. That ain't it. No, I just, <laughs> no, I just you. fully interpreted that as her nickname being Ean, which was an- strange, but I would prefer that to Serini. <laughs> yeah, we also the the thing about the Seons and uh, Aeons hit me earlier, but I think round two of me going, oh, there's a lot of vocab was the line. We need the treaty with Aralon far too badly. Our armada won't keep Fjordan off our shores for much longer. The entire Sportish navy is under Wern's command. <laughs> oh no! Not the Sportish I navy. Wrote that down as well. <laughs> the Sportish like, navy. A- am I supposed to be concerned about these things? I, I have. Yeah. <laughs> I have no context for half of these words. Sounds Not bad. Wern. It's like that one tweet. It's like. Sorry that happened to you, or congratulations, <laughs> IDK man, I'm not reading all that. <laughs> but uh, as we, we wrap up here, 
uh, even Tio does offer to try to, you know, do what it what it will cost politically to to bring Serene back home, to bring her back to her family, uh, and and she says no, this is important for our country, and also I want to figure out what's going on here, uh, which gives him some pause, but he knows his daughter and knows that that uh, is not going to be stopped. So uh, just offers his uh, his support. And yeah, he, he, he is a decent person. And then we get kind of a strange chapter break of, I'm going to go get your mother. She'll want to speak with you. And then he goes to get her. And then Serene goes, no. And then that's the end of the chapter. And we don't, that, that just, that's just the end. We move on. <laughs> and that was a just little, a... It's a little a odd. strange, strange beat to me. The mom is a spoiler. Serini's mom is Rayodin, and you can't reveal <laughs> oh, no. that yet. Now, that That's weird. It's, it's a Rayfo. Gosh, what a sweet uh, Evan Teo. Just like not only you know, I'll avoid this very, very important treaty that we're doing to literally preserve our countries from being destroyed. Um. Because you're your own person, and I understand that your feelings are valid. And also, if just in general you want to come back home, that's fine, and the offer's open forever. What a nice guy! If anything bad happens to Evan Teo, I'm throwing my book. <laughs> I think it's part of why it's so refreshing, is that this is far and away the best parent-child relationship we've seen in the oh, Cosmere yeah. thus far. I was gonna say, oh, yeah. we don't like, have a lot of those. Night like, day. Vin's mom was crazy and killed her sister. Ellen had to deal with Straff his whole life. Like, Ariane and Set, I think, is net positive, but is definitely odd. He's deeply like, weird. Deeply weird. Even the first few chapters of this book is just like, Aidan's a Garbo man, and Raiden probably had to deal with that. Anyway... Ham probably has a good relationship right. with his kids, but he never sees them. So that it's like not a, the healthiest relationship. It's good when he remembers they exist. Yeah. Hypothetical children. <laughs> and his wife, Mardra. Mar Mar yeah, I think it Mardra. is Mardra. Marta. Yeah. Pretty sure. I'm almost <laughs> sure of it. <laughs> it. It is. But yeah, I... I like the way that we are introduced to Serene and the the people around her, and we will we'll, we'll see her more uh, at the beginning of our next section. But uh, with uh, with our, our reading for today, we have chapter three to introduce our final of our main characters, and then we'll be back to Rayodin for one more time. Uh, but yeah, going to chapter three, uh, and we have one more time. We have the the dramatic opening line for our, our third character, none of Arlon's people greeted their savior when he arrived. <laughs> Incredible. I, I'm going to say right off the bat, Prathen is such a cool <laughs> character. Like, I'm not going to beat around the yeah. bush. He's so cool to read about. His, our first two chapters are about a prince and a princess. And then we have the most arrogant person in the book, just a guy... <laughs> <laughs> he's a high-ranking high priest, but, like, in comparison to literal royalty, he's, like, so many steps above in terms of, like, I am the most important person in this country right now, and I've been in it for about three seconds. 
and it's presented so factually. Yes, like, you you fully there's there's no bullshit. He fully believes all this, which is part of the reason I think he's so interesting. I can't even tell if he's going to be a protagonist or antagonist yet, but there is a commitment to the bit here that I really respect. It's not just oh he's power hungry and wants to conquer these people. It's like no, I am here to save these people. I just have to do it by making sure that they do what I say, no matter what. Yeah, this is this is going to be a cool one. I really like reading Kraythan's storyline here. So he arrives, uh, and over the course of this chapter, we are going to get a a barrage of of vocab words. Yeah, uh, because he is uh, even even from the the few people that we've seen so far, he is notably foreign. Uh, in that he is from the, yeah, the Fjordel Empire, uh, which if you, uh, I'm, I'm sure, Caleb, I'm going to guess you're going to be going back to the maps pretty soon now that we've established some countries. Oh, is uh, now a good time to talk about the maps? The, the Fjordel Empire <laughs> is most of the world that we see. Sure is. And I didn't realize this, but you can actually, you know, in black and white, it's a little hard to see. You can barely see that. Aralon and Tiad are different shades than mm. all of the mm-hmm. Fjordan Empire to indicate that they are separate things, um, which I thought was a really cool uh, attention to detail. And then also, since we're talking about the maps, something I thought was really, really cool that I didn't notice until I looked back is uh, we have, you know, Wol- Worm Wolfden, who's trying to conquer the world uh, and the world of Sikla. And I noted last time, it's a little weird that it says Sikla and then beneath it just says Opalon. The Opalon is written in Naj's handwriting. That's a note from Naj clarifying that these are referring to the same location. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was really, really cool. Yeah. So yeah, Hraithan has arrived in this this foreign land. Uh, He gives us a couple of notes. Uh, I do want to say he confirms real quick that Elantris used to be surrounded by four cities. uh, But now... Uh, K is the only one that that matters and has people in it, which is still slightly weird to me. Because again, I'm, I'm I keep coming back to the fact that still talk about the maps. Um, in in the Aralon map, it clarifies that this map was drafted after the Riyadh. So if that's the case, why are we keeping track of the three cities that apparently are no longer important? Why is that still such a prominent feature of the map? I'm. I'm just curious to see if there's going to be an answer on that. Eh. <laughs> cool. Here's the answer. <laughs> eh. Good point. I'm sure they. I'm sure they weren't like raised and like leveled. Yeah, or maybe they were. They're probably they're probably still pretty visible. At least it's hard to get rid of a city. But yeah, we see Hrathen's uh, arrival, and it is quite a dramatic one. Uh, like like we mentioned despite the other two characters being literal royalty, uh, he is the one who is the most sure of his own position in the world here. Uh, and he is he's marching into the city. Uh, he is he's catching people staring at him because he is wearing a full suit of armor that is in fact what blood color red. is the armor? It's, yes. it's it's blood red. They say it like seven times. <laughs> so yeah, he has he has arrived. Uh, he meets uh, an associate there. We get more vocabulary words. We have Fion, who is an Arteth from uh, who is is Derethi. Yeah, it's a lot. 
uh, and we we learn fairly soon. Well, we we learn in the first paragraph, but we see that he's uh, he's going right about implementing it. That Prathen intends to uh, convert the kingdom of Aralon to his his nation's beliefs, uh, or else it will all be destroyed. Is is the way that that he puts it. Yeah, it's a very it's an interesting take on. Um... Jonah from the Bible, whose whole deal was go preach to the city, and if they don't convert, I'll destroy them. And at first, he didn't want to do it, and that's why he got eaten by the whale. And then, when he did finally do it, he really wanted them to not repent because he was actually excited to get to see the city get destroyed. And then they did <laughs> repent, and he was like, "God damn it! I don't even get to watch the fun city explosion." Um, <laughs> and so it's it's really cool to have like a very similar setup of I have been sent to convert the people of the city. If I don't do that, the city will be destroyed. But Harathan feels the exact opposite way of like, and I really want to do that. I don't want these people to die. I really hope I can accomplish this. Um, But there is a ruthlessness to how he believes he needs to go about doing that. Yeah. And I think that's part of why, like, we've, we've talked about his arrogance, but how factual, like, he, he, his beliefs are quite set in stone of like, I am above these people, like my people are above these people, but like, we have to help them. Like, they don't know. It's not their fault. So it's still so, like, arrogant and condescending and bad. But it doesn't... It it feels like it's coming from a weird, genuine place. It's just delicious to read. Yeah, I know. It's Yeah, exactly. That's a really good way to put it. It's not coming from a good place, but it is coming from a genuine place. And that's what makes it really interesting. And he, he pretty much immediately begins uh, taking action. Uh, he's met his his contact here, Fionn, who seems to be in in charge of the the Darithi matters in the city thus far. Uh, and the first thing that he does is he fires him and tells him to to get out. Says you're going to be on the ship that brought me here when it leaves. He he also uh, yells at him for for not speaking their own language. Uh, which there's there's the the kind of arrogance there of like you know our our people are the best, but there's also like that's a real thing that is a big deal in a lot of communities is preserving a language even in places where it's not the majority. So mm-hmm. I I think that's that's cool to see him him point out is you know we are you know we we are Darithy people we should speak Fjordel, but. Uh, Prathen is of the opinion that uh, this man here has been uh, has been corrupted, has has become soft, uh, and is not the person that needs to uh, to guide the people of Aralon to their salvation. Uh, and he he has some support behind this, uh, as he has he has orders from Wern, say you need to leave. Prathen is in charge now, uh, and so that happens. Harathan wants it so it happens <laughs> pretty much sums up this chapter yeah you're, you're not wrong yeah as, as he's kind of having this conversation with Fionn about what's going to happen next we get we get more like information of if Wern writes something himself it's considered scripture so it's a very religious uh, empire that he's coming from mm-hmm. if that wasn't clear enough by the fact that he's a, a priest that's in charge of everything but um kind of doubling down on that um we get i know this is this sort of thing is very important to sam we get confirmation that beef exists in this world he mentions a, a <laughs> of beef. 
We did have the sh <laughs> we did have the strip of of meat. We did. Maybe it was just meat. What kind yeah. of meat? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Specify, Brandon. We now know that it could be beef. <laughs> could be. Could be beef. Um, but yeah, there's the detail of uh, is Fionn gonna go, you know, graciously or not graciously? Um, how how genuine is he? And gives him a letter and says, "All right, go back and uh, say it. Uh, everything's gonna be okay." And I was like, I hope there were two letters. And then there are two letters, and, and he, he burns the other one. I love that detail. The second one was written by Wraithen to send to Wern, right? Like, hey, this guy's an apostate and a traitor. Or was it from Wern to Wraithen telling him to do bad things? I th I think they are letters to Wern, or at least to to upper management, and it's basically, if Fionn can prove his loyalty, then he gets the nice one that says, put, like, let him do more stuff, and if Fionn did not prove his loyalty, then Hraithen would have said all the same stuff, but would have given him the letter that says, kill this guy. <laughs> kill this guy. Fuck you, Fionn. You were too nice. <laughs> I also predicted what the, uh, what the scroll would say before we actually read it the, yes this this holy text of <laughs> go fuck up arlon or something yes my lord sign my word yes my <laughs> lord you've got it <laughs> so specific nobody does specify convert them all in three months or i'm gonna literally kill everybody be cool maybe not everybody just a lot of people. Well, we will have to see when the time comes what uh, what will happen there. But after Fionn departs, uh, Hraithen is is getting settled in, uh, and we meet a, a a second character here who is going to persist for a while. Uh, is Dilaf, who is also very interesting to read about, uh, because the things that Hraithen picks up on very quickly. Uh, is that Dilaf is from Aralon. He is a he is a native of this country, uh, and he he's speaking Fjordal, but he has a, a a bit of an accent because it's not his his native language. Uh, but he is passionate. He he is extremely devoted to uh, to his beliefs, uh, to the extent that it like it's it doesn't bother Hraithen, but it does stick out to him. Even someone as as important and as we've seen as fervent as Hraithen is Hraithen sees what how Dilaf is acting and says wow he is he is a believer <laughs> this guy needs to chill <laughs> so creepy I'm I'm extremely creeped out by Dilaf and I can only imagine that he's going to be a rude dude to experience <laughs> later on but Dilaf uh, informs Hraithen of how the uh, how the situation is is developing here. He has been he has been preaching. He he is aware that he technically wasn't allowed to preach, and so he said, "You know, I was I was merely a teacher." Which there, there's uh, it, it's interesting to see Hraithen kind of try to to take over in this situation because, like we said, he can see how passionate Dilaf has been has been acting here already and so it is it's going to be interesting to see the 
the balance of power shift from him reporting to the apparently quite lax Fion to now reporting to someone who is also um, very passionate. And that is, uh, that is made explicit there uh, a little bit later as uh, Kraythin kind of formally takes him on as, uh, as an Odiv, which is an apprentice or a follower or some sort of second-in-command. Or, as Freythin in his own mind considers it, a slave. <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is an, interesting, uh, an interesting pair of characters we have here already. <laughs> Insta-mind games. <laughs> yeah, you know, this is, this is a very prestigious position, but it is also one of, it seems, like, complete subservience. So what's it going to be? Are you going to take this rank that that elevates you in the the priesthood? Uh, and for Diloff, the answer is yes. Yes, he will. I don't know, man. Never make a, never make an ambitious person your slave because they will ice you. We'll see if that actually happens or not, but uh, ambition is, is a scary thing to try and capture, I guess. I don't know. Look, as long as he keeps the enthusiasm pointed in the right direction, it's all gonna be fine. <laughs> Perfectly fine. No worries, no risks. It's all good. Warren said so. I can't help but thinking if we're talking about potentially dangerous influences and keeping them pointed in the right direction, the the picture of the the the, the standard uh, U.S. Army Claymore mine that has embossed on it front toward enemy. <laughs> yep. It's it's important to specify. You you don't want to screw that up. Yeah. Make no. Sure you, yeah. So yeah, that that may be Diloff here. We 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 need to Kraythan needs to keep him pointed in the right direction. <laughs> Diloff the, the standard claymore. So yeah, as we we wrap up our first chapter with Kraythan here, uh, we see the uh, the orders uh, from Wern that Hraithen is acting on here, which is that these these two nations, Aralon and Teod, uh, are the two that have resisted the the rule of the the Fjordal Empire, and so Hraithen is here. As we said, he has three months to uh, convert them to their religion, and also to subjugate them politically uh, and if that doesn't happen then they will be destroyed and Hraithen is very on board with this he sees it both as something that is necessary kind of for the state of the world uh, and also a, a personal mission of his now you know this is this was given to him and he is going to carry it out and if not then there may be bloodshed and just specific more world building of this has to happen because all of mankind needs to be united under Wern's rule so that Jadeth can rise from his throne beneath the earth. So whether or not it's it, it's true or not, the goal is to essentially resurrect a sleeping god. Which has never once gone wrong before. Nope. <laughs> or it might be that the sleeping god is going to rise regardless and the world just needs to be ready for him. Could be. The I it it does it does say the way it says 
with all mankind united, he could rise from his throne. My, mm-hmm. my assumption is Jadath is waiting for that to happen before he shows mm-hmm. up. Yeah, we will, we will see what, uh, what Hraithan's path looks like. Uh, and more importantly, I think it's, it's fairly clear the, uh, the tie between Raoden and Serene, even if they are being kept apart by Raoden's exile uh, and the, the circumstances there, there's a, there's a clear path where those two characters are going to, uh, their, their plots are going to intertwine. Hraithan is is throwing this wrench into the political situation and one or both of them are going to get tangled up in it and it will be uh, very interesting to see what happens there. Yeah, I don't know exactly where it fits in. I will say, spoilers from the front of the book, when you say one or both of them, sure seems like Serene and Raythan will be sharing some screen time unless the front of the book is a liar, which it could be. <laughs> it could be, but it certainly does appear that the two of them are standing right next to each other. And will be in some way on the same side unless Raythan is in, in mid-turn to strike her down with a sword that's hidden behind his back or something. Uh, it sure seems like they might work together to some extent. We shall see. We'll see. And then for our uh, final chapter of today's section, uh, we return to Raiden, and we start to see the the kind of workings of the city of Elantris. Uh, the first scene here, there is another new person who has has been sent into the city, and and now Galadon and Raiden together are watching uh, as as she begins her life here and the 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 important thing that we see uh is that and and Galadon is is kind of narrating all of this to um to to Raiden uh is there are there are three people who are pretty much in charge of Elantris and they have roughly portioned the city off and when you go into the city, the way that you pick to keep to start walking, one of the three of them is going to uh, claim your possessions and control over what you're going to do there. Uh, and so hope that you pick right. <laughs> yeah, which is a horrible existence. Elantris continues to be a, a bad location to be present in. Yes. Um, but you mentioned high fantasy zombie story in episode zero, Justin, and I started like kind of having expectations of like, okay, where's that going to go? Um, gang warfare is not where I expected it to go, <laughs> but also I'm actually really, really excited of like, even within Elantris, there is a form of politics to be navigated. I think that's really, really interesting. Well, it, it is not often that you get to see the zombie story from the perspective of one of the zombies. Yeah. <laughs> I say having not read a whole lot of zombie fiction. I'm sure that there are some out there that are quite good. If you count Coloss, we technically get like a hundred words of humans' perspective. We do. We do. <laughs> um, I, I want to point out some great writing that first made me laugh because of how weird it is. Uh, the last paragraph of the first, or sorry, the last sentence of that first paragraph. Seeing her agony reminded Raiden of his own pain, the sharp twinge of his toe the loss of his life outside the first thing he lists is his toe <laughs> first thing on <laughs> my, his mind my toe hurts 
But also, it is the first thing right. out of his mind because yeah. that's what's going to drive him insane. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> it hurts. Yeah, no, it's I, crazy. I did not think about the way that that line is put together that way. And I now that you pointed out, I agree. That is a, uh, that's a really striking way to see those are the two things that he is, that, that are most on his mind right now. But yeah, we, we see the, the way that Elantris is divided up. Uh, I say that this, this woman chose right. She actually chose left, which is correct <laughs> and not right, which is wrong. She chose well, according to Galadon. According to Galadon, yeah. Uh, or at least as well as one could, because this is Elantris and it's terrible. But she did not choose the well, which we will see later. We will. Of course you would notice the well. <laughs> and Rayodin here is, uh, considering very briefly making some sort of heroic effort, uh, and Galadon says, no, that's not a good idea. You you should You should get this in your head you should realize this by now you know he says if if stubbing your toe nearly knocked you out what would happen if one of them hits you in the head but uh yeah she has she has gone left uh which takes you into karata's territory and they're definitely going to take your food but they'll probably not actually beat you up and leave you alone physically as long as they get the food uh and in uh in opposition to that if she had gone to the right which is what Rayodin did. We saw what happened there. It's wrong. Yeah, it was. It was wrong. Is that uh, Shear's men are going to are, are going to come after you, and they are not as willing to stop at the food. Uh, and then uh, forward, we don't get a lot of detail there. Only that that Andon is the one in charge of the forward path. Uh, we don't get any specifics on why that was a bad. That would be a bad move. Uh, but we do know that uh, Karata is apparently probably your best bet. And with the uh, the the gangs introduced, uh, we get some more info on the the thing that happens to the people of Elantris. Uh, Galen says you last uh, maybe two years, a year, something like that. You don't die. You can't die. Uh, but it's it's after maybe two years that the pain and the wounds will build up to the point where uh, you just don't have any anything left mentally. Uh, and he says, you know, you can see them around. You can see what happens to people. Uh, and mentions that he's only been here a couple of months, which definitely throws Raiden for a loop. He, he assumed that Galadin had been here for years, but uh, most people don't have years. Fun place. Fun Great place. place. It's probably good that at least, uh, unless some unusual things happen, we're only going to be in here one third of the time. <laughs> oh, the meat stick was beef. Ah, I'd hate to feel that I hadn't gotten my beef's worth out of you. <laughs> beef confirmed. Beef confirmed. Not hypothetical. It's going to be really fun when we get to uh, Way of Kings and there's a ton <laughs> of stuff that is just not Earth normal and is only casually mentioned. And we're going to get to see how much of it Sam can puzzle out. Yeah. It's not like important plot. I just want to see you go, hang on, wait a minute. There aren't any of whatever these are. <laughs> but how does the fauna work? Here in uh, in this book, though, 
we then do get the, the the complete or the more complete explanation of how the the gangs of Elantris work. You have uh, you have Shayor in the market. Uh, you have Karata in the palace, and Andon in the university. Uh, there's a bit of a disturbing exchange where uh, Raiden asks if Andon is a, a scholar of some sort. Uh, and Galadon explains, no, he was just the first one to realize that uh, the books are bound in vellum. And uh, you can eat that. Barely. And considering all of the fucked up things happening in Elantris, it is kind of funny that Rayodin gets really up in arms about that. You can't eat the books! And, and Galadon is having none of it. He's like, look, yeah. I've, I've explained the hunger to you. You eat the books if you have to. <laughs> yeah what were you saying about most writers are writers and writers writing characters mm -hmm. that value books extremely highly it's mm -hmm. well it's really interesting seeing how much like how much mistborn dna is still seen early on because we have a well that may or may not be important and it may or may not be important way later in the book than we think it's going to be important we have a main character who is the son of royalty who really likes books um, we have a magic power that will, like, grab you in the night, and that's what gives you your powers. Uh, we have, apparently, people trying to awaken a, a slumbering godlike being. Like, there's a lot in here that it's, it's, it's funny how many things are echoed. Um, but I, I don't mean that as a criticism, because I'm also, it feels like such a new, fresh iteration of all of those things, um, that I'm excited to see where it goes. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. So we uh, we see some more of uh, the city itself. Raiden is thinking that it has been ten entire years since since the the calamity that happened to Elantris, uh, but even that doesn't seem right for how terrible of a condition this city is in, uh, and how everything is is decaying, is breaking down. There's this kind of gross slime everywhere and uh you know this this feels like the city is like actively falling apart and not just decaying over time because it's a terrible because it's a terrible place <laughs> it's, it's bad uh yeah there were some there's some really good metaphors in this section because at the end of that little segment he mentions how it feels like Elantris were intent on dying a city committing suicide um and that comes pretty quickly after talking about how Elantrians had allowed other religions to exist, but suffered them the same way a master lets his dog like fall on food off the floor. Like Brandon really on point with his metaphor game today. <laughs> yeah, this feels like a place that is worth kind of describing in uh, in that sort of language, even if it is right now an awful version of that place. It is still there, there's kind of a a like a there's still a majesty to it even if it's horrifying i also like the uh the observation that one of the first things that that galadon teaches raodin is move slowly and move carefully because you have you have forever you're immortal and the consequences of bumping your toe are are so bad that you want to slow things down smooth it out and and take your time yeah i appreciate that he gives the advice out loud but then we also get bits of Rayodin 
like examining how Galadon moves and kind of taking notes from that as well. And as they are, they're walking. Uh, we see uh, some of these people. Uh, here's another one where the the independent vowel pronunciation is important. Uh, the hoed. Uh, the hoed. <laughs> They've just been hoed along the road. They have succumbed to the madness. <laughs> they are in eternal suffering. Uh, and as in, in this lovely atmosphere, uh, Raiden is thinking about the people outside, the people he's left behind. Uh, we have mentions of... Uh, see, I feel like I always just say Keen, and I think technically it is Kyine. Yeah. Like the 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 no. yeah no it's not no yeah, it, you know, you're wrong it's keen <laughs> yeah uh, keen Roeyal uh, his best friend Lukel uh, we'll we'll have to see the 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 group of guys out there we'll see if we run into them eventually uh, and Lukel's new wife yeah. whose name is something look he never anyway. got to meet her how is he expected to remember her name no he had barely gotten to know her. He did meet they her. Only, he never only got met to... once. How is he expected <laughs> to remember her name? All I know is I turned into a hoed for this paragraph because I was saying, stop, 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 make it stop. <laughs> no more names. <laughs> well, it was that's this was the last thing I was remembering. Not sorry, not just son of a royal who uh, loves books. Apparently, also one holding clandestine meetings with his friends. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of Elid vibes coming off of Rayodin right now. Yeah. Also, yes, Road Sam adventure. has Sam has helpfully provided us with a a chart that he has made of all of our uh, names and places and things and and other terms in languages we don't know. And I'm sure this list will uh, be updated as we go. As we've been talking, I realized that there were a couple that I kind of glazed over. Uh, I'm at fifty three. Oh boy! So far. <laughs> so. I added Rulo and Hoed and Opalon and a couple others. The other thing that is on Raiden's mind, uh, which is kind of refreshing to see given some of the other interactions we've had, uh, is his own marriage and what will happen to Serene. Uh, because we see from the other side uh, that he also did quite enjoy conversing as they had. Uh, and was was very much looking forward to her arrival, and so is is sad on her behalf that they will uh, they won't get to meet, and that she's going to end up in such a strange situation when she arrives. So good on on Raiden for being worried about her. It would be it would be bad, but also very darkly funny if. He also did not mention Sarid's name. It was just like, and my wife, who I never got to meet. I only chatted with her once. I barely got to know her. <laughs> Anyways, instead we get her name, I believe, one single time. It's, it's actually an ancient Arlene custom that you need to be married for a year before you learn your wife's name. <laughs> <laughs> it makes the geopolitical thing way hard. Really unnecessarily tricky. <laughs> And then the uh, the last thing here in this section as they are thinking and walking, it's not quite a walk and talk, it's just a walk and think, uh, is uh, the the city itself and the Riot, the, the disaster 
that seemed to make everything go wrong and there are there are theories about why it happened and what exactly happened but that's still uh that's still unknown is uh at, at one point there was uh there were earthquakes the the chasm opens the chasm s- i saw on the map that was uh it was pretty pretty big on there it's a big big old chasm yeah and uh with that destruction elantris had lost its glory uh, and that was that was what led the city to the the state that it is in now and and yeah this is um some of the the language that we we pointed out earlier with elantris intent on dying a city committing suicide which is really cool right and then we uh we continued the tour uh it's a uh kind of a a double tour where uh galadon is showing raoden what elantris is now but also pointing out what it used to be uh we have the the market where there there used to be this this magnificent marketplace where all these wonderful things were sold uh you know because the elantrians didn't give everything away for free uh, and cool. now it is uh now it is uh Sheor's territory uh and the the men under his rule command we're not sure uh apparently have a tendency to to go after anyone who even just shows their face so galadon is uh cautious not to approach too closely just like the chase you know apparently that is a a thing that they they seem to just kind of enjoy uh and galadon notes that uh Sheor himself doesn't like doesn't quite engage himself as much uh, but he still does have the the power, and he's in charge here. Uh, and and Raiden is musing about why is there this this balance? Why is there this compromise between these three leaders who seem to be not uh, they're they're not benevolent people? But Galadon points out that in Elantris, doing battle is a is an extremely costly endeavor. You know, even if you succeed, you and the people who are attacking alongside you are probably going to end up ruined forever. So there is this this kind of long standoff. And then finally, we see uh, the other two main regions of the city, the palace and the university. They uh, they they go up to a uh, a tower. Raiden almost falls down the stairs, which would have been disastrous. Uh, and it is apparently still a pretty spectacular view, even with the condition of the city itself how it is. And we can we can kind of imagine what it was beforehand. I would not last long in a place where clumsiness is punished this harshly. I feel like I could do all right because I would just spend most of my time in bed. I would I would just <laughs> find I know there's not a comfy bed anywhere to be found, but I would just find a rooftop and just stick to myself for the majority of the day, I feel like. But what if you sleep on something wrong? And Look, then your I've, neck is just fucked up forever. I've I've been in pain from that for years already. I think I, I can handle it for a little longer. <laughs> rotten wood is soft, you know? Even if a bed is like rotten, then just put like a bunch of pallets or something delightful if there's one takeaway from this episode it's that living in elantris bad yeah (laughs) Yeah, we've uh, we've established that i think 
uh, yeah, so then we, we hear about uh, Karata, who is the most territorial. Uh, if, you, if you stay out, she'll let you be. But uh, if you intrude into her territory, she is uh, apparently even more harsh than, than Sheor on you will get attacked, you will get forced out. And then we we also have the the interesting note that um, you know obviously nobody likes being in Elantris, uh, but Karata is apparently well known for repeatedly trying to escape, which is not a thing that we've we've heard about before. Uh, and not only has she been trying to escape, uh, but apparently the going theory is that she's trying to get out uh, and then assassinate King Iodon. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> I like that the K city guards have a like four strikes policy for Elantrian <laughs> yeah. escapees. Right. They're like, we think that you are cursed and we are quarantining you inside this cursed city so that your damnation doesn't spread. But if you get out three times, that's okay. If you get out and maybe try to assassinate the king three times, that's okay. Eh. <laughs> But number four, mm, <laughs> we've had enough of that now. It's an alternate Earth <laughs> where there are four strikes in in Lucky, <laughs> Lucky Stick. <laughs> and then finally, our our last of the the trio of of gang leaders here uh, is Anden, uh, who claims that he was some sort of nobleman before being tossed in here. And Rayodin thinks, I probably knew him then, so I wonder if I can figure that out. But he is even more outright about it. He has he has declared himself to be the, the leader of Elantris, uh, is very annoyed that Karata is the one in the palace, <laughs> uh, and he wants to attack the city of Kay. Purportedly. He says he wants to, but Galadon goes, ah, he's not actually going to do that. <laughs> Seems like a bad idea. I don't know. You might as well give it a try. They give you four strikes before anything <laughs> yeah. terrible happens. Yeah, you know, <laughs> maybe a whole scale rebellion counts as two. We don't know. <laughs> uh, and then we do, in fact, see a well. And this well actually gets a lot of focus. Oh, wow. So <laughs> a weird amount of focus. Uh, so, yeah, um, Galadon points out that most of the city had magical plumbing. So, you know, no need for going to the well to get water every morning. Uh, but there still is one well. And and Rayodin noticed it because it's the first one he's... He, it's the only one he's seen. And Galadon says he thinks that it was it was something religious. That there there are ceremonies that need water from a flowing river. Uh, and we we learn, uh, and you you can see this on the map, but it uh, we we see yeah, the actual I noticed the map right next to the palace is on the map. Yeah, did, what did I say? The well right next to the palace is yeah. on the map. I don't know if I messed my, my words there, and it does seem to go right underneath where the river would be flooding. Yeah, which m- makes sense for a well to be there. And weirdly, Rayodin has the bizarre line of then the river does run under the city, and Galadon's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> What the fuck? What do you mean? Where else would it go? <laughs> do you think it just stopped on one side of the city and then picked back up on the other side? Completely yeah. independent? Yeah, I have no theories about 
exactly why Raoden thinks that something else was going on, but I did definitely clock that of like, what a strange thing to say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe one of his beloved books will tell him how rivers work. No, it's been eaten already. No! <laughs> well, we do see some more beloved books as our, our chapter's wrapping up because uh, the, the rain is coming uh, and Galadon says, you do not want to be damp for a couple of days, which I agree that would suck. Uh, and it's very hard to make any sort of fire in Elantris, so you're not going to be able to dry off. Uh, so let, let's go inside. And he he hesitates. He he gives a good think, but then decides to to bring uh, Raiden to I guess his little hideout, uh, where we do in fact have more books. And Raiden is thrilled about the books, and Galadon is not thrilled about how thrilled Raiden is. I I love that transition from Galadon like being hesitant to bring him in, and then two lines of dialogue in. Should never have brought you here. This was a mistake. God damn it! Why'd I do this? <laughs> After Randon simply says, "Books." <laughs> he was just too excited. We can't have that. It's also specifically now. I'll never get rid of you. You're you're already committed to being with him for a month. Like <laughs> you were not going to get rid of him in the near future anytime soon, anyways. But yeah, here is uh, here's Galadon's little little hideout here. Uh, he apparently just stumbled upon this. the The books are actually still in decent condition; they're still legible. And Raiden thinks that maybe they could learn about Aeonic magic, about the way that Elantrians used to be able to to perform these magical feats just by drawing aeons in the air. Uh, and at the very end of our chapter. Galadon does the thing. He he <laughs> draws this symbol in the air, uh, leaves a, a a glowing line. The the symbol is is visible, and it 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 hangs there in the air, and then it just vanishes, and nothing happens. And that's where it ends. And this is the page I flipped to when I was randomly flipping in episode zero. Huh? Back when I was talking about hand wave magic and how really want an explanation of it and then here's an explanation of it kind of i mean it doesn't say how it works just this is the gist we do learn i don't think it's until now we learn that aeons refer to the like characters and runes of the language um because we've had aeons mentioned every seon has an aeon but now we know that refers to like the actual symbols being drawn yeah does when you say it out loud it really starts to hit you doesn't it <laughs> Just uh, don't mind me. Just sitting here enjoying the pod. <laughs> Every Sion has an Aeon. But yeah, I think with, with that chapter break, we, we can probably expect some elaboration when we pick back up in, would that be chapter seven? But for now, uh, that is where we're going to leave off with Raiden and our our section as a whole. Uh, because we have, uh, we've completed... We've completed our first episode of Elantris. We have met our, our three main characters. We've seen this really awful city and the terrible things that happen within it. And uh, we are going to be heading on to more, uh, more Elantris after this. But we now do have uh, some things to do 
at uh, the end of the episode, uh, which we we didn't have a, much of a chance to in our episode zero, but we do get to get back to now. Uh, we can start building a cast list and we can make some predictions. Uh, if you are, uh, I suppose I should say, if, you, if you're joining us for Elantris and you haven't uh, gone through all of our, our Mistborn episodes, uh, we are, we and, and kind of all of the Sanderson fandom are anxiously awaiting the, the possibility of some sort of screen adaptation of, of Brandon's books. Uh, and with that in mind, we're going to chat about what things might look like if they're adapted to screen. Uh, and we're going to to fill out a list of how we are we're visualizing the the characters that we that we meet. Uh, and some of these might be uh, in Caleb's case, this will be as a kind of as a casting director of if you are going to hire an actor to play this character who could who could we we pick uh and some of them in in sam's case maybe more of a who am i visualizing when i think of this person <laughs> whether they are any sort of professional entertainer or not and and obviously those aren't strict categories but those tend to be how it uh how it's broken down so far worth noting sometimes uh sam will cast someone but specifically what they looked like 30 to 40 years ago. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, all I need is like the villain's head phone booth, but also it can transport to fictional places. And then I will be the best casting director for and this And then series. I'm going to use this power to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a minute since we've had like by the, the, even midpoint or early on in Hero of Ages, our, our casting list was like only a, a handful of entries each time. It feels like it's been a while since it's like, okay, every name that gets mentioned gets someone attached to it. I'm excited to get back yeah. into this era. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a lot for this episode one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I think we should uh, we should go ahead and get started then. You know, we we have we've met a lot of characters. We've had a, more mentioned who we haven't seen yet, so we may wait on those. Uh, but yeah, do we want to uh, to start going through this? Yeah, sure. I'll go. All right. So uh, as I said, I, I cast as as if I am recalling a dream. Um, if you want to go as simple as possible and avoid references to other media i am recalling a dream um so uh Rayodin. i've got uh nathan fillion probably circa firefly like that like a younger nathan fillion okay obviously because uh, he does the uh he does the what the hell is happening face really well he does <laughs> doesn't he you yeah, he does. He's got that unlocked. He's he's gonna he's going to try to figure it out and and you know work through it and be heroic. But he also is going to be confused and and a little frustrated by it. Um, Galadon, I'm picturing Aaron Pierre. Uh, he's kind of he's a, a an English actor, uh, 29 years old. He was in a movie called Old, but he he's he's who I picture. That M Night Shyamalan movie on the beach. That's right, with the skelly bones on the beach. Oh boy. He was in it. Um, for Serene, I've got Anya Taylor-Joy. 
of uh, Queen's Gambit. Mm. She of the wide eye gap. Star of the Super Mario Brothers movie, I'm aware. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, so for Iodon, I took uh, I went ahead and took Caleb's suggestion and twisted it. Uh, I'm going to go with Eric Idle. Because uh, I don't know if he's bad or not yet, and I think that a little bit of comedic touch could be good for his, like, go embroider or something. <laughs> I'm thinking back to my maps. He is kind of, like, humorously offensive at this point. Like, he he's not... At this point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we've only seen him for a scene. But, like, he's not, like, an evil character. He's just, like, you look at him and you're like, really? You're, you're gonna be that much of a jerk? <laughs> I also will point out that in a traditional narrative structure he is almost definitionally not the bad guy because the bad guy is Hraithan and the armies and the all that going That's on. That's a good point. The so. the kind of villain of the plot is one of our three focal characters. I'm interested to see how that plays out and all so we'll we'll see. Uh Eshin, I've got Julie Walters which is Mrs. Weasley from the Harry Potter movies. Uh, and Jimmy's mom, too. How about that? Wow. Okay. <laughs> Think about it. All of them. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. S- spoilers. Uh, <laughs> Raythan, uh Hey, guess what? It's Wayne Pygram again. There you go. Um, if you want to... Th- if, if it makes you feel better about me reusing actors, just think of it as like American Horror Story. Right? They reuse actors. That's fine. Why not for me? <laughs> if I reuse if I reuse actors in the same story, then you can raise a red flag. But within the costume, you know. Yeah, that works for me. Arteth Fion, uh didn't really picture. <laughs> I, I feel like as I'll as I'll get into later, I feel like he is uh unimportant. Um so just fill in the blank with like a bald short guy. I don't know. Somebody. Danny DeVito. He's my plug-in. <laughs> Classic. Uh, and then Artath Dilaf. Uh, a big description of Dilaf is he's got kind of wild eyes. There's a lot of descriptions of his eyes. Um, so I went with Joaquin Phoenix, who does Ooh, wild eyes. He really does cool. have very wild eyes. <laughs> so we'll see. Uh, and that, uh, that's all I asked for. That's a lot of people. But we met yet more that I didn't cast because hand cramps or something. Well, we'll see which of them end up uh, recurring and generate more of an impression then. All right. Uh, Okay, so with our list starting to build out so far, uh, Caleb, we can see what you have for for these or for any others that you wanted to, to put someone down for. Yeah, I've got a lot. Uh, and uh, I'll try not to rant too much. I do have a note on Nathan Fillion, though, which is this is uh, our second or third. I'm starting to lose track of um, potential uh, double casting where Sam and I cast the same actor in different roles because currently in place, I am picturing Nathan Fillion as Hoyd. We have gotten very little of Hoyd so far. I just know he is important to the Cosmere and it seems like he may be right. That being said, at a revelation last night, I might have new Hoyd casting but I'm going to wait until we see him again to see if it fits. So just a little foreshadowing for the future um, <laughs> that I might be shaking it up. Uh, but if it does fit, I'm going to be very excited. Anyways, in this book, that I, there's a very good chance Hoyd never shows up at all. Um, 
uh, I have kind of, I also did not love the whole I, I have to be married by 25 thing. So for all of our main characters, I've aged them up pretty much across the board. I'm pretty sure all of them are <laughs> at least age 40 or nearing age 40. Um, but uh, so with that in mind, as our very first Prince Ryoden, I have Toby Kebble, um, who is known for uh, doing some live action work, some mocap work. He has done mocap for King Kong, um, as well as I think being the main live action character in Kong Skull Island at the same time. Um, he did mocap for like the Warcraft movie. He was in the universally acclaimed Fantastic as Doctor Doom. Uh, he's he's been around. He was in a Black Mirror episode, um, but uh, he's 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 pretty good. Even though he's in he's been in several not very good movies, he seems like he's a good actor. Um, so that's what I got there. Um, Elao, the nurse that finds out Rayodin has become an Elantrian, I have cast. I've cast her okay. as Brent. I've cast her as Brenda McDonald, who, from what I could find, was still alive. She plays the nun in Elf when the, when when Mr. Elf's dad is talking to the nun and being like, I'm closing off your books. And she's like, but the children love the books. She's on screen for like 20 seconds. But I think she'd do a good job being on screen for 20 seconds in this movie For as these well. 20 seconds, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, for Galadon, I originally was picturing Delroy Lindo, um, who is a very underrated actor. I was into Five Bloods. He was in The Good Fight, which I've seen like t a two-minute clip of, and he was very good in it. Um, but I figured that might be might be a little too old for that. I think he's he's in his seventies. Um, so I went younger, and I went with uh, Jaimon Hansu, which I hope I'm pronouncing correctly. Um, uh, who was featured in films such as Blood Diamond, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, a uh, couple other things. Uh, he's the, he's the, he's old Shazam wizard Shazam in the Shazam movies. Um, very good actor. I don't think he's really been much of a main character very often. Gladiator, that's another big one. Um, he, he isn't usually like the main character, but he's always very good whenever I see him. Um, I so think he was I, in one of the Fast and Furious movies. I'm looking I at his Wikipedia, and I am sad to confirm that yes, he was in <gasps> Furious Seven. Nice. But anyways, yeah, I, I I I would love to see him as Galadon. He's 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 a very good actor. Every time I see him. Um, for Princess Serene, um, uh, again aging up a little bit. Uh, I was trying to think of who what. Who are some good tall blonde actresses I know, and so I went with Elizabeth Debicki, um, also in uh, *Couple Guardians of the Galaxy* uh, movies, um, and a lot of other just miscellaneous things. She's another one that has not been like in in a super like main character role very often, but she is in a bunch of movies as a side character. I think she was in the *Great Gatsby* movie. She's just kind of been all over the place, and she's another one of like every time I see her, I'm like, hey, it's her. She's pretty good. Um, so that's what I got there. Um, I remembered why I was thinking about Destiny, and it was because of the floating orbs, but it was specifically when I was trying to think about who to cast as Ash, because it says he has a deep voice, and I was thinking about, like, okay, who has a good, deep, informative voice? And I did think of Peter Dinklage, and then I remembered Peter Dinklage was originally cast as the helpful glowing orb mm -hmm. in Destiny, and his line reading was so dry and so bad that they just recast him I, if i'm remembering correctly <laughs> um he if you just just google that wizard came from the moon 
tone and just take a listen to him read that dialogue and, and uh, uh, see how it feels. Uh, so <laughs> great actor. I'm not putting him as Ash. Um, I am going to go with Danny Wallace, who I only really know from Sean Hastings in the Assassin's Creed video game. <laughs> he sounds like uh, Stephen Merchant, but with a slightly deeper voice. And I, I feel like that would be a pleasant voice to listen to rattling off information for serene throughout the movie i was gonna say um, if you're if you were going to go with destiny and then not do peter dinklage you could just do what bungie did and go to nolan north good option good option yeah it's true um i'm gonna go with danny wallace though all right he's got the, i want it to be a british voice and danny wallace is a good british voice um we have Ketal, the guy who helps Serene get Serene's luggage. No idea if he's ever going to come up again, but he's described <laughs> as tall and gaunt and kind of spooky looking, so I cast not going to get this right. Tom Laschiha, who plays Jack and Hagar in Game of Thrones. Um, the A man has no name guy. Um, he, he, he's good at giving spooky vibes. Um, he was also in Stranger Things, randomly. Um, so, that's fun. Um, for King Eadon, I have Timothy Dalton. I have seen Hot Fuzz. I know he can play the the big, tall, shrewd, evil man. Sorry, spoilers for Hot Fuzz. He gives off very evil vibes from the start, though, so it's not a it's not a big surprise. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's who I've got for that. Um, I'm worried this might be a waste of a very good actress, but I have Imelda Staunton, aka Professor Umbridge, as Queen Eshin. Um, I think she would. We know her as playing the epitome of evil as a Professor Umbridge, but I think she could also play the uh, kind of um, scatterbrained rambling uh, role pretty well as well. Um, so that's what I got there. Um, for King Event, I have John Reese davies aka Gimli slash Sala from the Indiana Jones movies. I think he can be a very good jovial, happy presence. Um, so that's what we have there. Um, as Freythan, there's a lot of Norse vibes coming from the the Fjordel Empire, in case the word Fjordel didn't give it up. Um, getting big Norse vibes. So I was trying to think of Scandinavian actors. The only ones I could think of were the Skarsgård brothers, and they didn't quite do it for me. I think they could do the job just fine, but they're not quite what I was what I was picturing. Um, and then I realized a lot of times Scandinavian actors play German characters. So what if we flip it? And then I was like, what are some good German actors? And then I found who I think might be a very, very good Freythan, um, because I'm going to cast Michael Fassbender as as our big boy there. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Good. Good. I feel like he's got the authority for it. Um, and then two more here. Um, as Fion, I've cast Alex Ferns, a.k.a. the Scottish right-hand man of fuckboy supreme from andor um a very good show with very good characters i don't remember that particular guy's name but i remember his performance and it was very fun he's the guy who actually introduced the word shit to the star wars universe so you can thank him for that <laughs> um and then lastly um this one is uh uh one that i think that's going to be happy with as as deal off as this very passionate intense guy um, I'm going to cast uh, Luis Carrizo, who I don't think has been in many Ooh, like, yes. movies or shows, but he has been in the D&D series Calamity um, as, a, as a character who very much appears 
soft-spoken and quiet at the outset, but as it progresses, you realize that he is a very intense character and uh, Luis can give a very intense performance. Um, so I feel like that would be a pretty good fit there. You are correct. I do like it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, that's that's my casting. I think I got most of my bases covered there. All right. Uh, actually, fairly uh, similar lists in terms of who who got put down for, for both people. All right. Uh, yeah, we've got uh, the beginning of a cast list here. Um, you know, we'll we'll definitely see. We saw in the Mistborn series that it did kind of taper off as we went. Um, I feel like we got a pretty good chunk covered right away. I mean, obviously, there's going to be more. We're going to kind of fill out some of the people that we've heard about but haven't seen yet. Uh, but I, I like where we're starting from. So that leads us to our uh, final section of our uh, podcast here, uh, where now that we've actually begun reading the book and we can see uh, where things are starting to go, we can try to predict where they're going to go. Uh, we can, uh, this is the segment that we call, when I remember what to call it, interesting, because hey. that is what I would uh, respond whenever Beth asked me any question or made any observation as she was reading the Cosmere books for the first time. I would simply say, interesting, to not give anything away. It drove me to madness. And Samesies. Then I got you to do this. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, again, we've got we've got different types of predictions here. We can We can try to see where the plot is going to go we can try to see events that we think are going to occur uh and then there's there's different degrees of of certainty uh and also wanting as well uh, i believe sam you had introduced um probably won't happen but would be interesting and not actually going to happen but i'm mad i think was the other category <laughs> not actually a prediction but i'm mad. that's what it was yeah. A nap of him, yes. yes. One of which came true. <laughs> sure did. <laughs> sure did. Uh, all right, yeah. So we we don't have a ton to go on, but we do have some kind of uh, plot threads that we can start to, to look into the future. Uh, so, Sam, do you want to get us started here? Sure. Uh, I'll just rattle them off. I've got, uh, you know, the... The big central question right now is what is the plot going to be? Uh, sure, that's an important. We one. will find out. There's big things happening. There's small things happening. Which things are things that we care about? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. Uh, so uh, I think we're gonna meet Karata, Anden, and Shower at some point. It'd be weird if we didn't. This is kind of the gist of my prediction so far. Is it'd be weird if we didn't. Um, but I will make more specific predictions i think uh in particular rayodin is going to hit it off with karata um that they're going to get along uh and they're going to hatch some sort of plot so we'll see um i think that ian which is uh oh, i can't think of words what is ian to rayodin his Sion. Sion. Obviously. Ian, Ian is his the Aeon of Rayodin Sion. <laughs> so uh, I think In Ian Opalon. Is... <laughs> oh, God. In so, Opalon. <laughs> uh, 
Ian is going to return to Rayoden at some point, I think. They're going to reunite. Because uh, we see uh, that Sions are still floating around uh, Elantris, but they're kind of insane. Uh, so I think he's either going to find his way back to Rayoden or Rayoden's going to stumble across Ian in Elantris. Okay. Um, and I think uh, Ian's going to be crazy. He's going to be driven nuts. Uh, but Rayoden might be able to get something out of him, like human style from, uh, uh, you know, okay. Hero of Ages. So, um, let's see. What else? Uh, Diloph, uh, I think, is going to kill Fion. Um, we'll see that, maybe. Uh, I do think that we have seen the last from Fion. Um, that does depend on if his presence was a kickoff or a field goal. Um, and I'll explain what I mean. Uh, think about where the ball is for a kickoff and a field goal. For a kickoff, the ball's on a little standy thing. For a field goal, the kick, the ball is in the guy's hands. So, these are sports facts. So the the goal is to move the ball away from its point with a foot. Uh, is there still use in the stand? We will see. I don't know. I get the sense that he was a kickoff. Start the plot off, and then you are a plastic stand in the middle of a field. You go go be picked up by, I don't know, the team dog or something. Or be <laughs> murdered off screen by <laughs> Diloph. Yes, or we'd murdered off screen by Diloph. We'll see. Um, I don't think we've seen the last from Diloph. It would be weird if it wouldn't happen. Whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, I th to here's my one sniper shot. Maybe from this section. Maybe no. I have two sniper shots. Uh, sniper shot the first. Uh, Diloph is going to at least try to kill Hraithan at some point. Uh, let me write that down in my notes because I forgot to. <laughs> to at least try to kill Raythan. There. Now I can have good for a supercut in the future, maybe. Uh, so, uh, Serene is going to meet Rayodin at some point. It would be weird if it didn't happen. Um, probably much later on. Um, it sure looks like uh, she's at the steps of Elantris on the, uh, on the cover. Because that wall is not six feet tall, which is the wall that surrounds uh, her city. So, probably much later on, though. I think we're going to... We have a lot of plot to kick off before she can reunite with Rayodin. Or unite, I guess, for the first time with Rayodin. Let's see. I think that it's either going to be a message in a bottle sort of thing or an escape. But something's going down that well and flowing out of the city. Um... I want to say maybe Rayodin, um, but that seems like a really cavalier thing to do, so it would have to be under duress, I imagine. Jumping down the well and then floating down the river. That seems like you could go horribly wrong. Yes. Uh, so either Rayodin's going to be pursued into the well and jump into it and escape the city, or uh, they're going to throw like a message in a bottle down there and get it to somebody outside the city. I this is I did not have that guess, but now that you've got me thinking about it, Sam, I am also starting to get on board with it because Justin mentioned that could go horribly wrong. It could go horribly wrong if you get stuck, but it has been, I believe, directly stated that 
Elantrians don't need to breathe. So actually, oh, that's not that's the worst true. way in the world to get out of the city now that I'm thinking about it. Um, and my final prediction is I'm going to have a stroke from the constant peppering of new words. Sam uh, will have a stroke. I'm hoping we got a lot at the outset, and much like with our cast list, it will start to trickle down, but Ugh. we'll see. I I'm hoping that it will be like um, like coats of paint. You know, here's the word the first time. Here it is the second time with context. Here it is the third time with more context. That would be great. But if we keep on like, oh, my jambim is on the sleeve floor, I'm going to have a stroke. Uh, Grom, we have fell from the sky. <laughs> we we have at least fifty three unique fantasy words in sixty eight pages, twenty three of which are characters. I'm I'm t I'm tired, boss. <laughs> so that's it for me. I think that's fair. All right. Uh, yeah, we've got. Uh, I feel like we we've got a good spread through when in the book these might happen. So looking forward to, to seeing how that shakes out. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Caleb, you want to uh, give us your take on where we're headed now? Sure. I got a couple because it, because it's me and I'm just going to take forever to get to my point. I have three separate sections of things to talk about. Do they perhaps relate <laughs> to our three different characters? No, not at all. Absolutely Great. not. You think <laughs> I have organization to my thoughts, Justin? You should know by now. My first thought is not really any theory specifically, although it will tie to one minor theory. The first thing I'm noticing is the symbols at the start of every chapter. Um, at, on chapter four, I don't really recognize the symbol. Um, it's these two cross lines with two dots. I don't like recognize that from anywhere. However, chapters one through three all do share the same symbol, and that symbol looks slightly familiar because it is a couple of lines that are drawn in the shape of the city of Elantris itself which is just very interesting to me. You got your straight line on the top and a curvy line on the side, which is the, the rhombus that, wait, no, it's just a quadrilateral, it's not a rhombus, but the shape that Elantris is with its city walls. Um, so that's one section already done, crossing it off the list. Um, the next section is what I like to call more questions than answers, um, which I haven't had an official title for in any of the Mistborn episodes, but I definitely have done this before of I don't really have theories for any of these, but here are all the questions I'm asking. Sure, we've got a column on the spreadsheet ready for you. All right. My first question is, how do you kill an Elantrian? They mentioned that burning might work, um, but it's not been confirmed. And I feel like at some point the plot will require an Elantrian to be killed. And if so, how do you do that? Is burning the only way? Is it actually impossible? And if so, how do you get rid of them? You could always go the Wolverine route of just, like, encase it in something and then seal it underwater where it can't get out. Um, but uh, I'm very curious if and how you kill an Elantrian. Um, second question, Brandon really likes to do this, where he just introduces something casually and you go, oh, that's just how the world is. And secretly, there is an explanation for it that will end up being important. And my main question right now is, What's with all the goop? What is actually causing all the goop to show up in Elantris? What is that stuff? Um, I feel like we, I have no idea what, but I feel like we will get an answer to that. Um, and yeah, I, I think he's pretending like that the answer to that is not important, but it will be. Um, 
A pretty minor thing, there's one point where Rayodin notes that he had yet to see anything that corroborated, corroborated the rumors about Elantris while he's looking at the shittiest city in existence. So my question is, what are the rumors he's been hearing if it's not any of the wild stuff he's seeing right now? Um, I'm curious if it might be cannibalism, and we do eventually get the confirmation that, like, yeah, they, we don't really eat each other because that's not appealing in any way. Um, so I'm curious if that's one of the rumors he was thinking about, but he just casually drops, oh, I, I heard rumors and nothing's coming true. And I don't know, that's just weird to me considering how Elantris is much worse off than I think he was expecting. Um, another question, what clandestine meetings, Rayodin? What is that about? I don't really know, but what's the, that, another thing just very casually dropped. Um, uh... This is a question that I actually did develop an answer to, so I'll skip it for now. Um, Eoden remarried Eshin right after the Riyadh took place, so my question is, will that timing be important? Is there something political that Eoden or maybe Eshin are, have been planning and, and dealing with that are tied to the Riyadh in some way? Um, I have a sort of theory about this, but it's still more in question mode at this point, so my question is, what was with that weird moment where Galadon went glassy-eyed and, like, Rayodin was like, he kept speaking, but his eyes seemed like they were focused on something else. Um, I am assuming that he was using some form of magic. I don't know what it was. I have my theories I'll get into later. Um, another question that is tied to a theory, but the theory does not explain this. Galadon has only been here for a few months, and he knows a lot about Elantris. I buy that he knows about the gangs. That makes sense to me. But he starts talking a lot about the palace spire and how you could walk up it and how what it used to be like. And he's explaining information that Prince Rayodin, the prince from the city next door, does not seem to know. So why would Galadon have that information and Rayodin wouldn't? That feels a little bit strange to me. Um, next question, why does Rayodin think the river doesn't go beneath the city? No idea. That's such a strange thing to say. Um... My next question is, how can Galadon use magic, especially if he doesn't know what Aeons are? He might know what Aeons are, but Rayodin brings up Aeons and Galadon goes, what? What are you talking about? Oh, the magic? And then he uses the magic. Um, so mostly the question is, how does the magic system work? Which I imagine we will learn in the next Rayodin chapter. Um, but uh, a question about that. And then my main question here, Well of Ascension taught me not to not to expect too many things about what Sam was talking about, what is the actual plot. And so my big big plot question is, how long, if ever, will it take Serene and Hraithan to actually enter the city of Elantris? Again, from the cover of the book, it seems like they will be hanging out together, and Sam did note, I, I get Elantris vibes from the cover, and it would be weird if the cover of the book titled Elantris had a city on it that was not meant to be Elantris. But there's been so much set up about stuff happening outside of Elantris that, like, I don't know how we'll ever be able to check in on characters like Diloph or like Eodon if Hraithan and Serene head to Elantris in the near future. So I'm curious if they won't even come into Elantris until, like, the two-thirds mark of the book. And there's a slight chance that they never enter, and Rayodin is our only POV into the actual what goings-on of Elantris itself. But those are my questions. And now I have actual theories. <laughs> the okay. third and final section. Um, it's been mentioned that the stones in uh, um, Elantris 
glowed with an inner light. Um, I don't know if this will be plot important in any way, but there's like a lot of talk of whether or not, of, of what, are, what is rumored about Elantris, what's actually true. My guess is that's a true thing. They have some magic that allows them to make stones glow. I don't, again, I don't know if that'll be important, but I imagine that will be an actual thing. Um, a theory I'm not going to put a lot of chips on, but I am just, it would just be interesting. Probably won't happen. I'm going to put a couple chips on it. Would be interesting if, um, maybe Serene's mom is dead and if Aventio is like not fully with it, which I think would explain the weirdness of that chapter break of Serene going, no dad, don't go try to find mom. Um, I'm curious if that's why the chapter ended so weirdly. It could be it was just a weird chapter ending and the mom's perfectly fine, but I'm curious if, if that might be what's going on there. Just because I've learned when Brandon writes something strangely, it's often intentional and not just bad writing. <laughs> um, similar to Sam, I also expect Diloph to fully bite Hraithen in the ass. Um, I feel like Hraithen is going to eventually do something sacrilegious or at least something that appears to be sacrilegious. And that's when Diloph will turn on him. Um, I don't have any details on that. Um, uh, all right. Next thing is I feel like probably a lot of things in Elantris are secretly shaped like aeons. The shape of the city appears to be drawn like the symbol we get at the start of the chapter. I'm assuming the symbol we get at the start of the chapter is an aeon. So I'm curious. I don't know if it'll show up on the map in ways that we can actually recognize, but I bet... Elantris was probably designed with a lot of the, these aeons in mind, so you might be able to like spot, the characters might be able to spot um, details in the architecture or the designs and things like that um, to find aeons. You even see that like the main streets of the city appear to be in a, in a, a rhombus-like pattern. That's the vocab word of the day. Um, so I, I'm curious if that will end up being an aeon in of itself. Uh, okay, I think... In terms of what Galadon was up to when he went glassy-eyed, I feel like he was probably doing some form of gathering information. I don't think it was Farukami, because I don't think Brandon would, like, secretly introduce a magic system that he wouldn't even elaborate on until two books later. Uh, technically one book later, but we don't, like, really go in-depth until two books later. Um, but, like, a similar thing of, like, he is doing something that allows him to, like, look through information that is not readily available in his brain... Um, and that's what he was doing when he went glassy-eyed for that one bit. Um, another theory, Galadon has some sort of ulterior motive. I don't think it's going to be a completely evil motive, but he's definitely hiding something from Rayodin. Um, which, can't even blame him for that. Rayodin is hiding his identity from Galadon. So, I, I like this dynamic of two of them are clearly not telling each other the whole story, but they're still working together. I think that's pretty fun. Um... There's a mention of a giant chasm being opened up. I am I am going to guess that the Riyadh was caused by Jadith, the thing underneath in the Tomb of Stone beneath the earth. Um, Jadith starting to wake up. And there is, there is some, I don't know if he's officially a god, but some very powerful entity beneath the earth um, is, is getting close to waking up and that's causing things to happen. That would also explain, if it's a magical being, that would explain why a magical terrible thing happened to Elantris if it's all connected because that was my main question is the chasm that opened up is way far in the south so why would that be connected to Elantris way up in the north if it's all just caused by one big magical being that that would explain why those two events are connected 
Um, next uh, uh, minor theory, I think Ash might be able to connect with the lost Sions. Galadon says they've all gone insane, but I think Ash might be able to talk to some of them. I kind of just hope that he will, because I think that's interesting. Um, I think that Rayodin will recognize Andin. Um, Rayodin is curious if he will or not, and I think that will, because I think that would be more interesting. I think Shayor will cause problems, but not really have a complex impact on the plot. He's just going to be, you know, he's just going to be a problem. Shayor's boys will pop up and be like, oh, now we got to run away or fight them. Um, but he's not going to be like a super complex character, I don't think. What I do think is going to happen is that Rayodin and Galadin are going to team up with Andin to take on slash infiltrate the palace. Because I feel like Andin really wants the palace, and I feel like the palace is going to be important to Rayodin. And maybe even to Galadon, because again, Galadon probably knows something that he's not letting on. Um, random prediction, I'm not putting a lot of uh, 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 chips on. Um, Dealoff mentions that he was in Duladel for a while. This would be kind of a convenient, wow, what a small world thing, but I think it would be really interesting if Galadon and Dealoff know each other. Um, I, for a second, I was like, could Galadon be the Arteth that Dealoff said he knew? But it wouldn't make sense for a Duladel, given the information we get from Hraithen, there's a lot of vocab words in this book. Given the info from Hraithen, it would not make sense for a Duladel Arteth to be preaching to Dilof. So I don't think those two characters are one and the same, but I'm curious if several characters have met in Duladel already. Um, and then the last one, I don't have a lot of details as far as the motives. Um, but I do, I am going to put a lot of chips in this prediction because again, I think this would make the story very interesting. Um, the question of why and how has Karata been caught near the palace? I don't think she's trying to assassinate Iodon. I think she's actually working with Iodon. Um, and they are somehow having some kind of exchange of power. Maybe Iodon is helping her maintain power. Um, I am guessing the reason why that would happen is because there is something in the sit in the palace maybe some sort of ancient Elantrian technology, I don't know what, that Iodon is looking for or trying to gain access to, and Karata is kind of the woman on the inside who is uh, kind of reporting back and telling him what's going on in the palace. Um, so with that in mind, even though we kind of have this setup that Karata might be the kindest of these gang bosses, I feel like she's actually going to be the main antagonist for Rayodin's storyline within Elantris itself, because she's the one that's kind of holding on to all the secrets that a lot of our characters are looking for. And that's pretty much all I got. All right. I think uh, from the perspective of Beth and I, the theorizing section, our, our interesting theories are already off to a good start. Uh, between the, the two of you, uh, we've, we've already had a couple of, uh, in various combinations of, uh, wow, that's actually pretty close. Uh, wow, I thought that was going to be close, but then it went somewhere else. God and <laughs> I like that theory. It sounds cool, even if it's not true at all. That that has to... I'm just going to guess that's the Serene's mother thing. I bet she's fine. Interesting. God Interesting. damn it. God damn it. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, we have uh, we've finished our first section. And it uh, it feels good to be back. It feels good to be back into the swing of uh, chatting about these books. Yeah, hundred percent. And and I'm excited to keep reading. Yeah, I was going to say Ooh. now's the. I don't want to say the best part of the episode because that sells us a little short. Uh, but it's the part where we get to read more <laughs> of the book. 
So, and and I will say in particular, uh, for for a good number of the Mistborn episodes, uh, I've read the Mistborn trilogy many many times, and I have a pretty good mental map of of what's going on in that book. Uh, so I, for a lot of our Mistborn episodes, I would I would give it a quick skim. I you know I'd go through the the summaries on the Coppermind. Um, I wasn't always like fully reading along every word of every chapter. Uh, it's been a while since I've read Elantris, and I, I definitely haven't read it that many times. So this time I am like full full on, you know, reading through our sections. Like let's let's finish this episode so I can get to some more book. So I'm I'm right there with you. <laughs> Uh, but before we sign off for this episode, uh, we've got some info to provide. Uh, first of all, our next section will be another four chapters. Uh, we'll be doing either three or four chapters for most of this this chunk of the book. Uh, so chapters five, six, seven, and eight this time around uh, is where we, we will be joining uh, next time. Uh, and when we do have our next episode, you will find it, as long as all of our past episodes, at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, alongside that, you can email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com. Uh, we're going to be, uh, once again, hoping for those messages to come in. Uh, those are vetted by uh, myself and Beth, uh, and those don't go directly to the the full crew. Uh, so if you have things in the future or other, uh, other Cosmere notes that you want to chat with us about, uh, feel free to do that or commentary on the podcast as it's going along. We'd, we'd love to hear that, too. Uh, you can also find us uh, on our various social media accounts, Twitter at alwaysanotherpod, Instagram at alwaysanotherpod, uh, and the third one that I mentioned before, uh, given the current state of Twitter these days, we also have a Mastodon account. Uh, we are at alwaysanotherpod at kind.social. I'm also on Mastodon as well myself, and we'll be mentioning our podcast frequently. Uh, it will likely be similar to our Twitter uh, in terms of uh, episode updates and also uh, you know, little snippets and, and musings of what we have going on. So you can find us there as well. And to date this episode, apparently Mark Zuckerberg is releasing his own competitor to Twitter next week. Um, God damn it. So we if won't by be on some... that one. Well, probably not. But if Twitter completely implodes, Mastodon's probably the runner-up. But... Who knows? Social media may continue to evolve over time. Just some, some fun musings about the future. Anyone got a blue sky invite code? <laughs> Hell yeah. As the person who is slightly more in charge of this podcast than anyone else, we will not be on the new Facebook Twitter. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Also to date this episode, uh, here Germany is sending that newfangled Zeppelin on its way over to America. <laughs> <laughs> Surely nothing will go wrong. Oh, no. No. <laughs> also, to date this episode, somebody make a dating sim where the characters are our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> You're crazy uh... if you don't go for a well of ascension episode three. <laughs> <laughs>